Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 119. I told the Sunday school class, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be up here, not Brother Knox. I, uh, even when I'm tired, I love preaching and teaching God's Word. And I love being at a church where people want to hear it. Psalm 119, this is a beautiful passage. And I want to kind of tell you where we're going to be going Lord willing, I'm going to make it through. We have five weeks left of Psalm 119, five uh, Sundays. And it has been such a challenge for me to preach eight-verse sections. When we read through this text, you're going to see that I could spend a whole series on several of these verses. So I'm going to do about eight weeks this morning because we're not having church tonight. And I think that's fair. What do y'all think? Y'all are liars. All right. It was so difficult. I, I, I went through three different sermons for this morning and I rewrote it all this morning. Um, so anyway, I'll communicate some of that as we go. And why is that? Well, part of it is because I'm crazy. And just the way my brain works. Um, But part of it is there is so much in this text. And we're going to have fun. So let's start reading in verse 129. Psalm 119, 129. My message is called Wonder and Light. Wonder and Light. And I want you to notice, and you have on your bulletin, the definitions of the ten words that are used over and over in Psalm 119. Seven of the ten words are used in this section, this eight-verse section. It's pretty interesting. All right, verse 129. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. Lord, what an amazing passage of Scripture. And of course, this whole chapter, it's just profound. And so, Father, help us, even though it's just a cursory look, just a skimming of the text, that uh, in that, you will help us to have some comprehension of the magnitude of the truth that you have presented here. Lord, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want us to see in this text... Now, how many of you know that Jesus Christ is the living Word? Right? So what I want us to do is I want us to look at the words, these seven words that are the seven of our ten words that are in this text... And I want us to see what we are to do with them. So if you look at verse 1, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. They're they're wonderful, wonderful testimonies, so I keep them. Wonderful words, I see them. Wonderful commandments, I long for them. Wonderful word, notice the difference, words and word, I walk in it. Wonderful precepts, I keep them. Wonderful statutes, I learn them. And wonderful law, I mourn for it when it is not obeyed. That's the truth 
of this text. And it's profound. But the first thing that I noticed as I read this, or one of the first things, was notice again what it says. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. If we're going to compare it to Jesus, he's wonderful. Counselor, the everlasting Father, all, the, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is wonderful, and his word is wonderful. Those who know his words best wonder at them the most. I think about that with the amazing things that Brother Knox brings out, or when, when Lawrence Vance comes to preach, or Jeff Faggart. We're trying to get Brother Jeff back to do some teaching for us here soon. When these men come and preach, Mark Trotter, we're praying for him. He was able to make it home, but the, his cancer has made it to his brain. I mean, it is a serious, serious deal, so pray for him. But when Mark will teach the Bible, just, just the truth that he finds in the words it seems that those who know it best, they wonder at it the most. Spurgeon said the psalmist was so charmed with the revealed will of God that he felt bound to, to exhibit its power in his daily life. His wondering and pondering produced reverential obedience. He would wonder at it. He would ponder over it, but it was more than just an intellectual exercise. It made its way into his life, and that is our prayer, of course, that that would happen. And they are wonderful. Notice what it says. These are, thy testimonies are wonderful. Testimonies. Remember what the testimonies are. This is what God says about the Bible or what it's done, or what other people say in the Bible about what God has done. And they're wonderful. These accounts, how about David killing Goliath? The other day I was driving to Cleveland and I listened to 1 Samuel all in a chunk, listened to it on the, on the uh, audio Bible. And I've always loved that since I was a little kid. Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to thee in the name of Almighty God, whom thou hast defied. How's that for a testimony? And then he killed that sucker. It was awesome. Man, when you're a little kid and you're small, I know it surprises you guys, I was actually a small kid, and he takes that slingshot and and he fell. And he didn't have a sword because Saul's stuff was too big. So he comes down and he gets the giants. He was 13 feet tall. How big was his sword? He gets that sword and he pulls it out. Needs a little more. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's an awesome testimony. And they're true. It's amazing what God used David to do. And when I look at these testimonies, they're wonderful. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. That is wonderful. And when I look at those testimonies, it makes me want to live for God because only God can do this stuff. Only God can. They're wonderful testimonies. They're wonderful in their nature. They're free from all error. They bear within themselves overwhelming evidence of their truth. When supposedly people believe that the world is flat, the Bible says it's a circle. The Bible talks about the paths and the seas. The Bible talks about spreading its line out upon the earth, latitude and longitude. All of these things that other people learn, they are in the Bible. The truthfulness of the Word of God is 
revealed in the words, wonderful in their nature. They're wonderful in their effects, instructing, elevating, strengthening, comforting the soul. They're wonderful, just like Jesus. Look at verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Who are the simple? They're people who are not inflated in their own wisdom. It's interesting, it becomes very difficult to win scholars to the Lord. Someone was just asking me if they thought Jordan Peterson was a secret Christian. Man, I don't know. He has so many strange ideas about mythology and about God and about Scripture. I hope that at some point, the the truth, the light of the Word of God pierces his soul. But the Bible says not many mighty are chosen, not many noble. Why? Because God reveals himself unto the simple and then makes them wise. It's interesting. The entrance of thy words giveth light. Entering light. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Keep your place here in Psalm 119. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. See, we need to understand that in the Bible, there's a, there is a juxtaposition between light and darkness. Between light and darkness. But notice the personification of darkness in this verse. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You can't talk to darkness. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with... Does darkness talk back? I hope not. It would scare me to death. The darkness is the people who are in darkness. And the Bible says that over and over again. Years ago, I had to write a paper for a class on I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus made seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. Jesus' use of I am, the I am construction points us back to the account of the burning bush. Remember, who are you? I am. Who should I say sent me? Tell them, I am has sent you. Deuteronomy 32.29, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. And claiming this title for himself, I am, he is claiming to be God. This is a bold and blasphemous claim, if untrue, but as God the Son, he could legitimately employ its use. Um, I wrote a paper like this early on. And the, you know, usually it's a student that's correcting your stuff in a master's class. 
And they sent it back to me and they said, this is sounding like a sermon. I wrote back on it. That's because I'm a preacher and sent it back to him. (laughs) In claiming this title for himself, he's claiming to be God, the light of the world. That he claimed this title seven times is significant because seven is God's number of perfection and completeness. In appropriating the name to himself seven times, he is giving one more proof of his deity. He wielded the I am to repel the band that had come to arrest him in the garden and asserting his command of the situation in order to protect his disciples. You know one of the things I love? You know the Bible never says that the word became God? It says the word was God. The word did not become God. The word became a man. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, praise God that that light came into the world. I am the light of the world. The word light is significant in the Bible. Arthur Pink wrote, light is one of the three things which God is said to be. In John 4.24, we are told God is spirit. In 1 John 1.5, God is light. And in John 4.8, God is love. These expressions relate to the nature of God, what he is in himself. Hence, when Christ affirmed, I am the light of the world, he announced his absolute deity. Believers are said to be light in the Lord, but Christ himself was the light. The Lord's use of the word light, then, is another claim to deity. In Isaiah 60, verse 19, the Bible tells us, the sun shall no more be, shall no more light. I'm sorry, the sun shall be no more I'm slowing my brain down. Let my mouth catch up. The Lord's use of the word light then is another claim to deity. Isaiah 60 verse 19 tells us, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Revelation 21, 23 tells us that the holy city that comes down from God out of heaven has no need for the sun or moon because the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb, it, the lamb is the light thereof. Praise God for that. Lenski wrote, when speaking to Nicodemus on faith and unbelief in John three eighteen, Jesus said that the light is come into the world and that the believer comes to this light while the unbeliever shuns it. Here we now have the basic word, I am the light of the world. The idea in light is that of active power which conquers the opposing power called darkness. This juxtaposition of light and darkness is important. John 1 makes it clear that Jesus is light and that is synonymous with God. One of the key phrases of the book of Ephesians is in Christ. First John connects this concept with the topic of the light of the world. First John 1, 5 through 7, this passage plainly states... That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He goes on to write that we are to walk in light. How do we do this when we are darkness according to John 1.5? Only by being in Christ. We may abide in Christ, that's the light, or in sin, that's darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John often uses the word world 77 times in the Gospel of John. John 12, 46 makes it clear that all those who live in this world are abiding in darkness. One reason for that is the simple fact that Satan is the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. There was no light in the world until Jesus came. What a powerful statement. 
There was no light in the world until Jesus came. What happened when God stepped out of the nothing, out of, spoke, stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence? Darkness was on the face of the deep. And he said, let there be light. It is amazing to me that the light does not come from the Word. The Word created the light. Light as we know it was created by God. It was spoken by God into existence. That means that God's Word is faster than 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty cool. God's Word. God's Word. He is the light of the world. What a powerful statement. If the light of the world has not come, there would be no hope of escaping that darkness now and in eternity. Look at 2 Peter 2.17. 2 Peter 2 and verse 17. Talking about false teachers destroying the sheep. 2 Peter 2 and verse 17, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest. Look at this. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. You see, do you see how there, there is a weight to light? There is a weight to God's glory. The Bible makes that very clear. But notice there is substance to the darkness. This mist of darkness will oppress them forever and forever and forever. Why? Because the light came into the world and the darkness comprehended it not. He came unto his own, the same text, and his own received it not. But to them who received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Who were born not of the flesh nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. You see, God has a desire for all people to be saved, and He comes into the darkness. It's a powerful statement. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Our job as Christians is to introduce those stumbling in darkness to the light of the world so that they might have the way, the light of life. Isn't this funny? This is a paper I wrote for college. How many of you think maybe I was supposed to be a preacher? I don't know. We are children of light. We need to put on the armor of light to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Like John the Baptist, we are not that light, but are sent to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Our light, the gospel of Jesus Christ, must not be hidden. The God of this world does not want the light of the glorious gospel to shine under the people of the world, so he has blinded their minds, 2 Corinthians 4. Jesus has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But that gospel must be heard and believed, and how can they hear without a preacher? Jesus uses the title, or Jesus' use of the title, light of the world, is also eschatological, that's future 
He is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings, Malachi 4.2. This healing will be necessary because he will nearly destroy the earth with the brightness of his coming, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Amos 5.20 reads, Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? Why is this? God has destroyed one-third of the sun, moon, and stars in the tribulation, Revelation 8.12. The sun and healing of Malachi 4.2 will be more necessary in that day than one could ever imagine. I am the light of the world is of tremendous theological importance. It affects our theology proper. He is God. It affects our soteriology. He is the light of the gospel. It affects our Christology. We better understand who he is. It affects our demonology. We know the enemy transforms himself into an angel of light. The best part of the whole subject is the fact that those of us who believe Abide in the light. The light of the world is Jesus. Amen? So go back to Psalm 119. See, I wanted that to be my whole sermon, to slow down and just preach that from this verse, but I've committed to getting through eight verses. Y'all don't care. I can tell. Verse 130, "...the entrance of thy words giveth light." We have to remember, Jesus is light, but that light must enter into you. He entered into the darkness of the world to bring light and to ultimately be the light. But if I am in darkness, I am not lightened until Christ is actually in me. In me. Entering light. I want you to think about this little axiom. No words, no light. No words, no light. Why do people stumble in darkness? They do not have and have not received the word of God. Vital that we understand that. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. There must be an entrance or there will be no illumination. The mere hearing is of small value by itself. You have to hear and obey. Remember, Herod heard John gladly. But he had no interest. He wanted to see a miracle. He wanted to see the great prophet. He had absolutely no interest in believing and obeying the message that John was preaching. You see, the light has to be heard. It has to be believed. It has to be received. And as we saw in our Sunday school class, it must be acknowledged and repentance has to follow. Look at verse 131. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Longed for thy commandments, just like Jesus John 8, 29, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. The longing for God's commandments. I like this. I think this is from Spurgeon or one of my other commentators. An enlarged desire is one of the first fruits of an understanding given us of the Lord. So look at the way the text reads. Verse 129, thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. So now I'm simple, but God has given me some understanding. And when I start to get that understanding, then I long for what God tells me to do. Please tell me what to do. Instruct me. Tell me. Have you ever been on a job and you really didn't know what you were supposed to do? You were given a job that you were not really trained for? What are you longing for? Someone to tell me how to do it. When I first became a pastor, I had only been to, I think, two funerals in my life. 
The guys at Chromas showed me how to do a funeral. I didn't know how to do it. See, what happens is when we start to understand our need, when we start to understand the wonder of God's testimonies, and that light comes and we start to have some understanding, now what do we do? God, tell me. Command me. It's not help me. It's command me. Tell me and I will go. When I understand the world condition, when I understand my simplicity, I need the command of God. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Keep thyself from sin. I need those commands, those orders from God. And that's why Jesus always did those things. And it's interesting. When I understand and long for the commandments of God, two things happen. Look at our text. So, verse 131, I opened my mouth and panted, you know, like an animal. I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Two things happen when I understand and long for God's commandments. I see again my need for mercy. It's very difficult when you are understanding the light of the Word of God to become arrogant in your own well-doing. Would you all agree with me? The, The deeper you dive into God's Word, the more you understand your own sinfulness and your need for mercy. Praise God for His mercy. So not only do I see that, I see my need for mercy, but I remember how God treats those who love His name. Man, I don't know about you, but when I look back at saints who loved God's Word, uh, uh, Laura and I, we just mentioned um, Bob Maxwell. Anybody who knew Bob Maxwell knew that this was a man of God. This is someone who loved God and loved God's Word. Elza Willis. Man, Elza was fantastic. I don't know if I've said this out loud here. I've said it other places. Maybe I have here. Maybe it was my first or second year. I had never administered, a, had never been in administration of a church, and I kind of blew the church budget. So we had the deacons meeting. We're doing that today. Hopefully, you can blame Ed because Ed does the budget now. But it was like the meeting today. We got done, and I had messed it up, and I thought maybe I was going to get fired. I was really worried. And here was the entire conversation. Elza came up and patted me on the shoulder and said, you'll do better. I can't tell you what that did for a young preacher. You see, Elza was a man that loved God, loved God's word, loved the church, and understood the weakness and frailty of his young pastor. You know what I want? I want God to remember those people that loved his name and the mercy that he showed them. That's the mercy I want God to give me. Do you see why testimony is so important? It's vital. Then, look what the Bible says. Verse 133. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Guiding word, just like Jesus. The word gives guidance, just like Jesus. We saw that Jesus is the light that comes into the world, but John 9, 5 says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Have you ever tried to walk in darkness? It's awful. 
It is awful. And you think you know where stuff is. And you're feeling and you're reaching in complete darkness. And then you step on the Lego. You walk into the the, the bedpost. We've all done it. See, what we don't understand is that's exactly the way that we walk through the world when we don't have the light of the Word of God. And the simple fact is, I need God to order my steps. Now, it's interesting. Look, look at the text, and I know I say that too many times. It's interesting, but it is interesting. Verse 133, order my steps, order my steps. Now, you all know there's two different ways to look at that. There is put them in order. Make sure I I walk the right way. There's also the command, walk this way. Not Aerosmith, completely different. There's the command. I know y'all were thinking it, so I just said it. Especially Carrie, I saw her face right there. Order. Order. There is, let all things be done decently and in order. And there's also the order, the command. Look, when I wonder at his testimonies, when I long for his commandments, when he gives me understanding in my simplicity, I'm longing for it. I'm panting after it. Now I know that God will tell me how to walk. The guiding word, just like Jesus. Now I love this. I have a new king. Do you see what it says in verse 133? Order my steps In thy word, let not iniquity have, what's that word? Dominion. That's kingship. That's what dominion is. It's anos domini, the king, the year of the king. We have to remember, it's vital that we understand this. You're either a slave to Jesus or you're a slave to sin. That's it. Those are your only two choices. And I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ is a wonderful master. He is a wonderful king. And he makes me free from the law of sin and death. I have a new king. I'm not a slave to iniquity. And I'm no longer under the dominion of sin. The guiding word, just like Jesus. Now, look at what it says in verse 134. Deliver me from the oppressor of man. I'm sorry, from the oppression of man. So will I keep thy precepts. Kept precepts, just like Jesus. My mouth is to be full of his words. Jesus Christ is the living word. I need to be full of his word. Remember, precepts are those things to be spoken. Those things that we are to teach, those things that we are to command, those things that we are to instruct, those things that we are to say from the Word of God. Well, Jesus Christ, everything He said was the Word of God. Because He is the Word of God. And remember what Spurgeon said, if you cut the preacher, he should bleed bibbling. We should be so full of the Bible that we speak it in our regular conversation. Kept precepts. My mouth is full of His words. Like Paul, I want... The word of God to have free course. So notice what it says here in verse 34, 134. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. The oppression of man. Paul said, um, let's look at it. Keep your place in, in Psalms, but go to 1 Thessalonians. I believe it's chapter 5. Must be 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
Hey, I loved it. James Knox did that exact same thing. That, that, that encouraged me. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Y'all, I want you to think about something. So this passage, it's, it's kind of become part of our vernacular here at Grace Baptist. It's been almost 20 years since I preached that. It's just amazing what God does. Anyway, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. You understand that's the same thing that David is praying back in Psalm 119. Let's go back and look at it. Deliver me, verse 134, from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Like Paul, I want the word of God to have free course, and I want to be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men so that I can speak God's word. And that's what it's saying. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Here's what I want. I want liberty so that. I want liberty so that I can speak God's word. I don't want liberty so I can make money. I don't want liberty so that my kids can grow up free. I want liberty so I can speak the word of God. Do you know what the result of that will be? My kids will grow up free. You've got to get it in its right order. Liberty. Not tolerance. Liberty. Look at 135. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. Enduring statutes. So remember what a statute is. That's something carved in stone. That's something that God has said that will stand forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. These statutes are forever. They're not going to change and we cannot change them. When we attempt to change them, we have a problem. Hey, you young men, you guys are pretty tough. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find an anvil and change it with your head. But call me before you do it so I can be there. And it's so interesting. Now, I don't think any of these guys are foolish enough to try that. Okay, Corey? <laughs> I was not telling you to actually do that. Why? If it's your head or the anvil, what's going to win? When we try to change God's word, it's, it's worse than trying to change an anvil with our head. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ, according to Daniel... He is that chief cornerstone, and all that stumble upon it are ground into pieces. Maybe you should just agree with it. Just believe it and stand on it. How does that work with Jesus? Enduring statues, just like Jesus, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. You know why that's so important? Because his sinlessness is the guarantee of our eternal salvation. If he could change, that means our eternity is not settled. I am so glad that my eternity is not based on change. It's based on the changeless one, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Enduring statutes. And then notice what it says in verse 135. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. 
Remember Psalm 67, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause thy face to shine upon us, Selah. Cause thy face to shine upon us. But you compare that with Revelation chapter six, chapter 6 and verse 15. But the kings and the great men and the mighty men, they cried unto the rocks and the mountains and said, Fall on us and hide us from the face, from the wrath of the Lamb and from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. You see, when you're looking for him as your Lord, you want him to shine on you the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, we've looked at it several times, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have that treasure in earthen vessels. Those who hate God, there's going to come a time when they're going to hide their faces and it will do them no good. Enduring statutes. And then, notice what it says in verse 136. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. Do you know what maturity is? Maturity is moving from anger to sorrow. It, and, and this is where I know that often I am still an immature Christian. Because honestly, the sin, the debauchery of our culture, it makes me very angry. And there's some justification for that, biblically, there's no doubt about it. But just like that, those Christian disciplines in Second Peter chapter one, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness charity. Charity is that pinnacle of Christian disciplines where I give myself, not my stuff. I give myself this kind of godly sorrow. This is maturity. Because Jesus stood over Jerusalem and wept. Look at Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. Because of the sin of Israel, the glory is leaving the temple. Ezekiel chapter 9, look at verse 1. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, so this is Ezekiel 9 and verse 1, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was, that's the mercy seat, to the threshold of the house. And he called the glory of God. He called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And what did he do? He was going to destroy everyone in that city. Except for those who mourned over the abominations that were done there. You see, 
God loves people that love his law. But not only that love his law, but those who weep and mourn over the violation of it. You see, when you do ministry, you begin to understand the awfulness of sin. When someone brings a child that has been offended, when someone brings, when you see a marriage that's been corrupted because of sin, when you see the evil that goes on in the world because of sin, you love those people and you love God, all you can do is weep. All you can do is weep. And so I wonder, as you look at the sinfulness of this world, do you gauge it by, gauge your response to it? Is it desire for that wickedness? Is it nonchalance? Disinterest? I don't care. Is it anger? Or is it godly sorrow? Where you look at the world and what's happening and you weep for it. What does the Bible say? That the go forth and weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. I, I, and some of it is our culture, our, our local culture. Pretty tough people. Would you all agree with that? Shelby County, this area, you know, Germans. When they say, I love you. There's something about our culture that is, I don't know, it's just a little hard. We need to ask God to soften our hearts toward his law, toward his commandments. I want to finish with this. Some of you have probably already thought of it. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ, the blessed one, gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, list to the loving call, wonderful words of life. Also freely given, wooing us to heaven, sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer peace and pardon to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify us forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Is that perfect for this passage? So, what are we to do? Notice, go back to Psalm 119. The wonder, so verse 129, the wonderful testimonies cause my soul to keep them. The entrance of those words, not word, notice it's plural words, specific words in your Bible, the entrance of thy words, they give light, and now I have understanding. That causes me to open my mouth and pant and long for God's commandments, not promises, commandments. Tell me what to do. Look thou upon me when I understand that, man, I need God's mercy. And I recognize from the testimonies of those of the past what God does for those who love his name. And then I tell him to not only arrange my steps, but command them. Order my steps and make me free from iniquity. Don't let sin reign over me. I have a new king. And then 
Deliver me from unfaithful and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Why, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may have free course and be glorified. So will I keep thy precepts. I'm going to speak God's word. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes, those things that will never change. Lord, shine your grace on me. And then rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Remember, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Amen? And let's just love him. Let's love him. Wonderful words of life. Let's all stand together. Wonderful words of life. And Lord, you freely gave them to us. When I think of that song and I think back to those who died, whether it was William Tyndale and others, to give us the Bible. And we have it. Lord, help us to love your testimonies, to to understand how wonderful they are. Lord, give us freedom to communicate your precepts.